Well, happy May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. It's a Tuesday, 8 degrees in the GTA. Chris Creston is here. Rob Trevisan is here. And I'm here. It's the Kelly Cotrera Show. Nice to have you here with us as well. Um, I'm not sure if you remember because it was back in December. I know a lot of people were busy in December or trying to be busy during the pandemic and doing whatever they could to make it as festive as possible. But we had David Crombie on the show. He had resigned as chair of the Greenbelt Council with six other members of the council to protest the proposed government rules that said they would be uh, gutting environmental protections in Ontario. So finally, the government has appointed a replacement for David Crombie. There's a new chair of the Greenbelt Council. And before we get to who that is, uh, it is a controversial choice. I wanted to welcome to the show Tim Gray. He's executive director of the Environmental Defense. Welcome to the show. Good to have you on. Uh, thanks for having me. Let's start off with um, just getting everybody up to speed. What's the role of the Greenbelt Council? Yeah, the, the Greenbelt Council was established to provide advice uh, to the provincial government on the protection of the Greenbelt, uh, including when there's policy reviews done every 10 years. And when there's a move to expand it. Um, so David Crombie, as you mentioned, chaired the, the last re review process and, and came up with some really valuable recommendations that were implemented by the previous government. And uh, also was standing by to participate in uh, you know, expansion of the Greenbelt, a process which was started by the last um, government, but then was not proceeded with. So they were going to work on that, but um, you know, as you mentioned, the, the council resigned uh, out of concerns about re repeated attacks on Ontario environment uh, by the provincial government. Okay, and can you get a little bit more specific on the types of attacks that they decided to step down over? Yeah, it was you know repeated uh, efforts by the province to actually open up the green belt uh, for development. You may recall they, they tried to legislate it open with Bill sixty six. Uh, public outrage resulted in them dropping that legislative initiative. Um, they also, of course, have restarted uh, two four hundred series highways through the green belt. You know, one is Highway four hundred three. The other one is the Holland Marsh Highway. They uh, legislatively roll back uh, protections for wetlands, forests, et cetera, by uh, attacking the conservation authorities. They've gutted the Endangered Species Act. Um, they've changed the Planning Act to encourage sprawl, uh, to gobble up remaining farmland adjacent to the Greenbelt. So it's pretty broad um, spectrum attack on environmental protections around land, species, et cetera, in Southern Ontario. And all of this has consequences for the Greenbelt. And as a result, uh, the existing council decided that they, you know, they just did not want to be part of this anymore. I wonder how much David Crombie is pulling out his hair this morning to learn that his replacement is retired MPP Norm Sterling. Tell us a little bit about Norm Sterling and why he is an interesting choice uh, for the chair of the Greenbelt Council. Yes, Norm Sterling was a, a cabinet minister in the Harris government going back almost 25 years now, I guess. He was the environment minister at the time. Uh, he was um, in charge when the Walkerton scandal happened. Uh, he was still an MPP um, when the Green Belt was established, so no longer in government, of course, because that was brought in by the Liberal government uh, and voted against uh, its establishment. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's who knows whether he is uh, still opposed to the green belt seems like an odd position to take on as a chair of a council that is meant to protect uh, the green belt uh, and hopefully he's thought you know carefully about the role that he's going to play 
and uh, is you know going to be there to actually protect it and and not and facilitate some way government another round of government attacks on the green belt. When you say uh, hopefully he's not opposed, that's because uh, Sterling voted against the creation of the green belt as an MPP in two thousand and five. Now he's going to be chair of the green belt council. It seems like an interesting choice. Yeah, it's an interesting choice. I mean, it you know wouldn't have been necessarily uh, my first choice, but you know clearly the, the government was looking for someone with conservative um, party credentials uh, to chair this council, and you know they found someone. I'm just hoping that uh, you know Mr. Sterling's had a change of heart and that he is going to be committed to protecting the green belt and not opening it up for development. Yeah, that's one of the fears that uh, a lot of Ontarians uh, have. Let's talk about you brought up the highways. Can we uh, turn our attention attention to the federal government? They are going to carry out their own environmental assessment of proposed Highway 413. Uh, what What message is that sending out to the Ford government? Well, I think, you know, it, it should uh, underline for them that this is a uh, very destructive, high-risk highway. Um, it's going to go through the Greenbelt. It crosses uh, rivers and streams 85 times. It threatens uh, endangered species habitat. It goes through some of the best remaining natural areas in Vaughan in particular. Uh, it paves over lots of farmland, and it will enable uh, even more sprawl north of Brampton and into Caledon and in the Halton region. Um, it's opposed um, by most municipalities. In fact, every municipality along the highway corridor supported the call for a federal environmental assessment of the project. So this is a widely opposed uh, project. Um, it's one that was cancelled by the previous government following a review by an expert panel. Um, so this should be a message to the, um, the Ontario government that uh, this is an unnecessary highway and it should be cancelled yet again. But can the feds uh, shut it down? Do they even have the power to do yes, that? They if could. they come, they could. Yes. All right. So that's interesting. I mean, those. Uh, I know that the the provincial government are doing their own assessment as well. They are, and now the provincial government will have to be, uh, you know, cooperate with the federal assessment. Uh, the federal government has the power to determine that the environmental impacts of this highway are so significant that permits should never be issued for it. Um, there are many areas of federal jurisdiction that the uh, provincial government, as the proponent of this highway, would need permits for. And if the federal government decides not to give those, then there'd be no legal pathway for the for the highway to be built. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who's chairing the uh, Greenbelt Council if the feds decide that this Highway 413 is going to be environmentally um, bad, uh, destructive, then they can shut it down. Absolutely. But of course, the Greenbelt is much larger than the area where the highway will go through. So there are many other issues um, you know, that have to do with the long-term integrity of the Greenbelt. So you know, we were, you know, really hoping that the expansion that is being discussed by the provincial government actually goes ahead and that, um, you know, Norm Sterling as the new chair helps with that and that we do not see any repeat of the uh, planned incursions into the green belt. You know, at the, the current premier, Doug Ford, during the election campaign, you know, mentioned that he wanted to open up the green belt to, uh, to developers. Um, that, of course, would signal the end of the green belt as any kind of functional land use designation. As soon as you allow it to be opened, then it, uh, it ceases to be meaningful because the, the whole point of it is that it permanently protects farmland and natural heritage. And uh, as soon as you allow it to be opened at all, 
it just becomes the same as every other piece of uh, farmland or natural area in Southern Ontario, uh, open to the whims of whatever municipal government or provincial government or development application happens to come along. So it's, it's effectively the end of it. As soon as you uh, start allowing its boundaries to be opened up uh, at the whim of local mm -hmm. development applications. What if, okay, so what if you redrew the boundaries and you didn't lose land? Well, the, um, the boundaries are meant to be permanent. Um, and you can set, kind of imagine that, you know, once you kind of open those floodgates, I mean, this happened, uh, you know, during the last review. So in 2015, the previous provincial government had a review and 700 applications came forward from developers to take land out of the green belt, change the boundary here, change the boundary there. They rejected right. all of them. And uh, I think that's critical is that if you intend um, a land use designation, a protection designation like this to be permanent, then you need to be serious about it. And you can't um, start taking land out because what is the basis to say no to the next application once you say yes to the first one? I, I can see what you mean with developers, but I think that there, there could be a thoughtful way to redraw those boundaries because there are some arguments that they could have been hastily drawn in the first place, like you have for farmland that's 10 minutes away from the 401 that could be used um, for uh, development when there's other farmland that's not designated Greenbelt that actually might be more fertile that that was left out. You know, one of the key things with, a, you know, a protection designation like this is that the land be uh, contiguous. Um, so if you start allowing development within the Greenbelt, then basically turn it into a kind of switch, Swiss cheese. Mm -hmm. So think about building a subdivision, you know, on what is farmland within the Greenbelt now. Um, those developments don't exist in isolation. They need sewers, they need roads, they need bus service. So you need to build all that infrastructure into the farmland in the green belt in order to allow that development to go ahead. So pretty soon you don't have a green belt. You've got a bunch of development within the farmland that used to be protected. You start to drive all the property values up as well, and which means that people can no longer afford to farm it. So you completely change the entire mm -hmm. dynamic. As soon as you establish the principle that it could be open to development, the land speculators move in, the development moves in, and it, it's the end of the day for the green belt as an effective uh, protection tool. I would argue, though, uh, farmland uh, like 10 minutes away from the 401 is, is through the roof anyways, value-wise. Not that I'm arguing against keeping the green belt. I'm just saying that I think that there's a, an, the, the, the price of land that close to the 401 is uh is questionable on you know it it getting any uh, more valuable it's valuable and people are sitting on it the land in the green belt that is zoned agriculture and in the green belt has a very different value than land that has been zoned for development so the speculative value like if you're a developer and you get a hold of land that you can then somehow take out of the green belt you're going to make $100 million on that if you've got a 100-acre farm. So uh, the speculative value is fundamentally different if it's zoned permanently as farmland versus whether it could be flipped into developable land. So yes, farm values have gone up, which is good for the farm mm -hmm. community. It means that farmers, when they want to retire, can sell it to another farmer and actually you know, have money to retire. But that's not in any way in the same mm -hmm. scale as having the ability to flip it to developable land where you can build a subdivision or a factory on it. That's true. But if it's not great farmable land in the first place, uh, then farmers aren't going to pay that much for it because it's not, you know, valuable farming land. Anyways, Tim, I'm going to leave it at that because I'm being a little contrary today. I don't know what kind of bees in my bonnet. Look, at I'm happy that we've got a green belt <laughs> and I'm happy about environmental uh, protections. I just wonder sometimes about the boundaries that were 
uh, drawn by the liberal government and if we shouldn't be taking a second look at them. But, you know, that that's another another conversation for another day. Thank you so much for joining us, Tim. It's always a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Have a great day.